Scripture and tradition where we take a look at sacred scripture through the lens of that sacred tradition that goes back to the apostles who received it from Christ. Now, we'd love to have you become part of the show by adding your questions and comments. You can call uh, during the live show, which is on Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and the phone number is 1-800-221-9460. 1-800-221-9460. If you're in North America, outside North America, you can call country code 1, area code 205-271-2980. You can also send us your questions and comments by writing to Scripture and Tradition at EWTN.com or follow us and participate with the show on Facebook and YouTube. Today we'll talk about how the first disciples left everything to follow Jesus and that that led to them becoming his witnesses to the many, many miracles in Galilee, which we'll be taking up as we go into the next book in the second part of the show. Now again, you can uh, get both of these books that we've been going through. One is called Praying the Gospels, Jesus Launches His Public Ministry, which is at EWTNRC.com, where it's item 52687. This was meant to help us meditate on these, but now we're going to go on to, we're going to make the transition to the next book, which is Praying the Gospels, Jesus, Miracles in Galilee, also available at EWTNRC.com, where it is item number 52885, 52885. All right, so let's take a look at uh, last meditation of chapter 8 in Jesus Launches His Mission. This is from Luke 5, verse 11. It reads, and when they had brought their boats to land, these are when they bring the boats full of fish to the point that they're sinking. So when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Now, there are parallel versions of the calls of the fishermen where they left everything, and that was... In this case, they also left not just their nets and their boats, but also the greatest catch of their careers. They never had such a catch. And they left all of that and followed Jesus Christ. They go on a new vocation to which he had called them. Instead of being fishers of fish, they would be fishers of men. And it's important to note, they are not all of a sudden filled with every bit of courage and strength and readiness to go. Not at all. We'll see as we go through the Gospels that there are a lot of failures at courage, whether it was in Gethsemane when they ran away as our Lord Jesus is arrested, or whether it is in the palace of Caiaphas, the high priest, where Peter denies knowing Jesus. Um, this is something that they were, you know, not quite ready to be that courageous, even though they followed Christ. And they weren't totally committed to leaving their boats behind. 
we'll see in John 21 that Peter is the one who says, well, I'm going fishing. And a bunch of them follow him to go back to fishing for fish in John chapter 21. So, you know, they have a lot of back and forth. And that's important to note because this is common for human beings. We have good desires. We desire to do the right thing. And we sometimes don't. We go back on our world, our word. So their, their conversion, like that of many of us, is something that doesn't always have depth. It would take time and spending time with Christ, three years with him. And then not only would they have plenty of experiences of miracles in the teaching of Jesus, but even still, as we mentioned at Gethsemane and the house of Caiaphas, they were not really yet ready. It really took the death of Christ, his resurrection, and then appearing to them after the resurrection, and then his ascension and the descent of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. It took all of that especially that gift of the Holy Spirit, before they were willing to do what our Lord said in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verse 8, when he promised that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this would not even happen very readily. As we see in Acts of the Apostles, they started to spread out only because they were being persecuted in Jerusalem. And that forced them to leave the city and go to Samaria and then Judea and then to keep going to the ends of the earth. Thomas all the way to India and uh, St. Paul to Spain. So this is as far as they went. And through that process, an ongoing process, the whole world came to hear about Christ. Because even as new parts of the world were discovered by Europeans, they sent missionaries to these other places to let them know the goodness of Jesus Christ. And, and what he means. So all the way from their ministry in the first century until now in the 21st century, billions of people have come to know Christ because of this very small group of fishermen. Now, this passage is from uh, Luke chapter 5. It's very important because we see that St. John Paul II used this passage to set the theme for the Jubilee, especially the verse where Jesus gives his order to put out into the deep. And St. John Paul urged the church to do that that we too are to go out into the depths of our culture. Right now, we have a culture that is uh, very much opposed to uh, Christian faith at many of its levels. I was, I've been listening the last few days to a number of programs on national public radio, NPR, and they have a lot of very negative things about Christians and Christianity in their programming. It's supposed to be kind of a neutral, objective kind of radio station, but that's malarkey. <laughs> that just isn't true. They're anything but. They are to this far-left ideology that speaks openly against the influence of Christianity. 
and often based on ignorance. You know, they, they, I was listening to a program uh, yesterday where they were blaming Christianity for slavery, not paying attention to the fact that it was also Christians who fought for the abolition of slavery on the basis of Christian principles. And long before they fought against it in America, the popes and bishops had fought against slavery. People listened to the church on slavery about as well as they listen today when it comes to abortion. Think of all the Catholic politicians who promote abortion. Some of them promote abortion more than they would do work to help get baby food for babies that are alive. They, don't, they, they care less for the living babies than they do to make sure they can kill others. This is their attitude. And that was the attitude of many people and politicians about uh, other issues like slavery. But we very much have to pay attention to this and say, nope, that is the depth of culture. That is the culture of death into which the Lord sends us. We don't just bemoan that culture of death. We say, no, that's where we have to evangelize. And the more they try to stop us, the more committed we have to become because it is a life and death issue that spreads to the violence at the parade, for instance, in Highland Park, Illinois, or the school in Uvalde and other schools. They don't allow God's word to be spoken in the schools and they become more and more deadly places. We have to be folks who go and evangelize into these places. That's the deeps. And remember, we already mentioned to you how the Sea of Galilee is a lake, freshwater lake, that's 683 feet below sea level, depending sometimes on the snow, sometimes a little bit higher, a little bit lower. And it's 126 feet lower at its very depth. So we are to go into these depths and reach out to the many souls that don't know Christ and very much need him. Now, as St. Peter um, said to our Lord after the great catch, leave me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Each one of us might say that. I've known people say, well, I, I don't want to do any kind of a mission because I'm not perfect. You know, our Lord didn't wait for Peter to be perfect. He called him with the enthusiasm and the lack of it, the cowardice and the braggadocio, you know, the, his willingness to just brag about himself. He did that with, you know, took Peter as he was, and he takes us with our weaknesses. And we are to go and do that. So to pray over this passage, I would urge you to picture yourself as Simon or one of his three partners, his brother Andrew, and then the brothers James and John. And think about them leaving their boats, their nets, their equipment in order to follow Jesus. And ask yourself, what would be the stronger attraction or the stronger pull for you would it be reluctance to leave your business behind? Or would it be attraction to following Jesus? Which would be stronger? And what, you know, in your own life, as you follow your vocation, say, whether to priesthood and religious life or whether to marriage, doesn't the Lord ask you to leave certain things behind? Like in, in marriage, you, when you make the decision to say yes to marriage, you also have to forsake the pursuit of other uh, partners, of other people. 
You don't care. Well, there might be a, a better woman out there. There's certainly going to be a better guy. No, no, you stop. You have to leave that behind. And when you have children and follow your vocation, you lose a lot of things. <laughs> you know, your money, uh, peace and quiet in the house, the ability to read the newspaper. <laughs> Kids are always making demands. That, uh, not through any fault of their own necessarily, but they, they, they do put a huge demand. And you give up your health even because they come back home from school with all kinds of sicknesses. So no matter which vocation the Lord calls you to, you're asked to give up a lot in order to follow him. What has he asked you to leave behind? What's your attitude toward it? Ask yourself, will I respond to our Lord's call the way Simon and his brother Andrew and the brothers James and John, the sons of Zebedee, will we respond like them? Or will we be like the rich young man who went away sad because he couldn't give up what he had? This is a very important thing. Imagine our Lord standing there waiting for your response. What would you say to him? In the spiritual exercises, St. Ignatius of Loyola gives us a very wonderful prayer. We've mentioned it before. It's called the Sushipe. And this would be the prayer I would recommend. It says, Take, Lord, receive my liberty, my understanding, my memory, my entire will. You have given me all that I have and possess. And I return it all to you, Lord. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your life and your grace. That is enough for me. This is a great prayer. And, you know, by making that offering of ourselves, we make a good preparation for the next stage. We're going to take a break, and now we'll start the next book about our Lord in Galilee. So please stay with us. taking a look at this next book now, Praying the Gospels, Jesus' Miracles in Galilee. Again, it's at EWTNRC.com, where it's item number 52885. We'll be using this for the next few months, uh, and a lot of the material is written down there so that you'll have some of these uh, reflections to use in your prayer. And that's, that, that's the, the thing that we want to focus on. And, you know, I, again, I wrote this book to talk about our Lord's miracles. We don't, I don't spend a lot of time on his teaching ministry, like the Sermon on the Mount and such. Focus on the miracles. The miracles were a way that he attracted people to himself by healing them and meeting their needs. And that was, that's an excellent thing. And it's, it'll be important to note that even at the trials that he had uh, before the Sanhedrin, before Caiaphas and Annas and Pontius Pilate, all those trials, nobody denied that the miracles were real. 
That would have been the easiest thing. Oh, this guy's a fraud. No, they don't say that. They just say, make him shut up. But they don't deny the miracles. So we're going to just spend time on the miracles. Now, let's begin this. Um, in some ways, the way we uh, came to an end of that initial stage, and this is with Jesus going off to pray. This is in Luke 4, verse 42, where it says, At daybreak he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowds were looking for him, and when they reached him, they wanted to prevent him from leaving them. He'd already done a number of miracles, and the people love it. That sense of God touching them is very, very important. But for our Lord, it's more important that he pray. Now, St. Mark makes it very explicit in his gospel that Jesus went out and prayed. With St. Luke, it's implicit. Luke implies that he'd gone off by himself. And we see in Luke's gospel lots of times more so than any other gospel, that our Lord goes off and prays alone. In Luke 6, verse 12 and 13, it says, Now during those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. We also see him go off to pray in Luke 9, 18. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And then in Luke 9, 28, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. That was the Mount of Transfiguration. And in Luke 11:1, 1, he was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then in, finally, in Gethsemane, in Luke 22, verse 41 to 42, Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Each one of these episodes of our Lord praying is extremely important, and each one leads to various consequences for his disciples. Jesus' prayer has a big effect on his disciples. Later on, that will become a very important part of our doctrine of Christ after he ascended into heaven, is there to intercede for us as we go about doing the Father's will. And the, um, it, it's very important for us to see that he, he, our Lord had a number of successful events in Capernaum. Lots of things had gone well. Um, exorcism in the synagogue, healing Peter's mother-in-law, healing people and exorcising people outside Peter's house. And all that success is why the people wanted him to stay there. But the purpose of his mission was not to have success for its own sake. He was sent to fulfill the will of the Father and to go to all the towns of Galilee and Judea to go to preach all over the country. And that's one of the ways in which this particular prayer in Luke 4 will have consequences for the apostles. Because at that point of our Lord beginning to go beyond Capernaum, the town where they lived, he is now making them decide Will they follow him or will they and thereby leave 
their boats behind as he goes to the interior? Or will they say, no, 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 we want to stay here? That's a question for them. And each disciple has to come and deal with this fact that um, the Lord very much wants them to follow him to that next stage and be willing to leave behind the success of the present moment in order to go to the next point of obeying the Father and doing the Father's will. And we all have to ask that at different points of life. This is true for everybody. Um, you know, when you finish your education, when you start a career, when you find your vocation to marriage or priesthood or religious life and family, these are all wonderful things, but even as that develops and unfolds, new choices have to be made. You know, as uh, kids come up, you have to figure out ways of uh, different, you know, kind of availability to them and not just to a career. But then after they have grown up and left the home, you then have to say, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do next? At every stage of life, we have new decisions to make in order to follow our Lord. And we all have to be willing to reflect on what's happening in the present moment and what does our Lord want me to do next. Now, this is very different from the attitude that's quite common in our society, where folks think, well, I'm free to choose what I wish. I have to fulfill myself. And yet, I don't know that that's making people all that happy. I don't have a sense that people are real happy about doing what they want. There's an initial happiness that, oh boy, I could do what I want. But when you get it, sometimes you still feel the flatness. Something isn't quite enough. Um, how many people have a sense, I want to have fulfillment, and I just don't see that I should have children get in the way of fulfilling my career goals or um, you know, some of my desires for, uh, say, travel, things like that, uh, all kinds of things that you, you think might get in the way. So I got to do what I want. And for many people, that's one of the issues behind the abortion question. A baby is going to get in the way of my career. And I have to find my own career and do, well, you know, if a baby comes along, then that child is, you know, your vocation. This is what you, who you're called. And that, I'm not just saying that about the women who are carrying the baby. There's a husband involved. I know some people are trying to say all kinds of crazy things, but uh, about how babies get born and that, um, they, they are arguing uh, that, you know, men can have babies. They, you know, I, I hope that people take a look at science and see that men don't have babies. That doesn't happen. Um, not, I'm not going to go into the biology of it, but check with a biologist and um, not, not a theoretician. Uh, and therefore, if a man is the father of a child, the birth of that child also means responsibility from him, just as it means responsibility for the mother that bears the child. And that may mean a very significant change of the way my vocation is going. 
and where I see fulfillment in my life. And that this child has infinite value. Why? Because that child will live longer than the corporation you want to work for. Any company that you work for is going to die out. But the soul of the child conceived in a woman's womb lasts, lives forever. And this is something that is very, very important. And so I'm here to call my, myself and accept God's call that things may change in my life, but I accept that call to follow our Lord, no matter where that may lead. And I, I certainly would never look back on my life and say, oh, yes, I've had this straight line trajectory to follow. No, it's been up and down with disappointments and failures all along the way. And you learn to listen to that and see what does the Lord want next. Very important. All right. Well, we'll stop there. We'll continue on with that, that passage in Luke 4 next week. But now we have some questions. We have Fred in Indiana calling. Fred, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you, Father Mitch. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm well. Oh, so very what, good. what can we do for you today? Well, uh, my wife and I, we watch you every week, and we watch your series on the Eucharist. And we were just wondering how President Biden Nancy Pelosi can take the Eucharist. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that President Biden's bishop, I, I haven't heard at all that President Biden's bishop has prohibited him from receiving Holy Communion. But uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi has been forbidden by her archbishop to receive Holy Communion because she has become ever more radically committed to abortion, including right up until the last moment before birth. And that, that now that applies to the president. He certainly uh, is pushing that. And this would be something I've heard from both of them at different times in the past where they say, I'm a Matthew 25 Christian. Now, remember Matthew 25, verses 31 and following? They use that as the model that, you know, when I was hungry and thirsty and naked, in prison and sick, you helped me. And whatever you did to least my brethren, you did to me. Now, I like to consider myself also to see that as a model for the way I want to live as well. But you also have to remember the second part of that same passage, where when you didn't take care of me, you didn't, didn't take care of the hungry and needy, didn't do it to me. And what my question would be for anybody who claims to be a Catholic and in favor of abortion is by being willing to finance that they, these people want, uh, some of them, not all, but some of them, very much want the federal government to be able to fund abortion. And that means cutting the arms and legs off of a baby in the womb. It's a child with, who's fully formed, has all the organs, has uh, fingerprints, all that. Totally distinctive fingerprints already. And they want to cut the arms and legs off. Do they want to go and stand before Jesus Christ, the judge of our souls, and say that this is what I did. I did this to the least of your brethren, and I'm doing it to you. Is that what they want? Or anybody else who supports abortion? 
You want to be able to say, I'm going to do to Jesus what I'm willing to do to this baby. This is not a good idea. But that will be a fact. You want to be a, a Matthew 25 Christian? Fine. But it applies to you also that being willing to cut off the arms and legs of a baby and then crush its skull is what you're doing to Jesus. See what he thinks about that. That And Nancy Pelosi presented herself to for Holy Communion at St. Peter's, knowing that her archbishop forbade her to, re to present herself. She was disobeying him because of, uh, and, and doing so, and embarrassing the folks at the Vatican. You know, there's a hundred priests distributing communion. I don't know who gave her communion. I don't know if he knew who she was or what her bishop had said. So that rests primarily on her. And I guarantee you, if somebody in her party disagreed with something she ordered them to do in the House of Representatives, I dare say she would not take it very lightly. And, but she doesn't want that same principle to apply to her. And this is not right. Not right at all. All right. We're going to take another break. We'll be back. We have your emails and more of your questions. So please stay with us. First of all, I just want to ask you to be sure to join me for a very special EWTN Live tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I will sit down with Monsignor Chuck Kosanke to discuss the growing of faith in Middle America and in the rich spiritual history at the Basilica of St. Anne in Detroit, a wonderful, beautiful church. And uh, it should be a good show about, you know, this growth of faith, okay? All right, let's start off with a question from our studio audience. Sir, where are you from? I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, sir. Well, you some. Good to have you here just down the road from us. So what is your question or comment? Well, my comment is basically over the last two years with the pandemic, we've heard follow the science, but with issues like reproductive rights, you're not allowed to follow the science. This is something of an irony that it, I don't know if you ever played the game Simon Says. Nowadays it's science says, and science didn't say. <laughs> and you know, they, they take it back because, you know, I, I don't, under, well, I do understand. The issue is political rather than scientific. And even with some of the material on, you know, the, um, uh, the, the virus and the various medicines we were asked to take, the science was not conclusive. I and mean, they hadn't, they didn't have a chance to do the kind of uh, research that you know need to be done now they're admitting i just heard this week they're admitting that the vaccine is about five percent successful in stopping the present forms because the the virus has changed over time it, that's what viruses do they adapt um and so it's you know that it's one of those things that they're doing their best i assume with the virus and the uh, vaccines, but there's a limit. But then in some things that are pretty clear, like, you know, women 
have babies. Men do not. And women's DNA has uh, uh, double Y chromosomes, while men's DNA has XY chromosomes. Um, that's, that's not something that I feel. That's what scientists have made known since they discovered DNA. So, you know, we have to deal with the realities uh, of science the best we can, include that, and not let political issues. I guarantee you that a lot of the same people who criticize the church for trying to stifle Galileo are doing exactly the same thing when it comes to reproductive uh, science. And they, because it, just like in the 17th century, uh, not all that Galileo was saying fit into our understanding of church doctrine. Plus, he didn't have all the facts yet. He was, the, the, later on, when Galileo's theories were proven beyond a doubt, the church accepted them. But at the early stages, they did not have fitted into their understanding of scripture. They didn't have all the evidence because he didn't have all the evidence yet. And, you know, they, they rejected it. Well, the same people who constantly bring up Galileo are doing the same thing to, uh, to other scientists, especially reproductive sciences. Uh, this is something we have to pay close attention to. All right, we have an email from Julie. Uh, let's take a look at that email from Julie. Uh, here it is, in that uh, came over us recently. Greetings in Christ, Father Mitch. I have a question about the Our Father prayer. The verse that says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can or will that ever happen? Will God's will be done on earth just like in heaven? Everyone living godly lives here on this earth? Is that what the prayer means? Thank you, Julie. Well, a couple things. This is what our Lord desires. He wants us to do on earth the will of God as it's done in heaven. Now, that means that we, doesn't, first of all, it does not mean that we will do what the angels do. We're not angels. He wills us humans to do our human things that he commands us to do. The angel, so it's not as if we're going to do the kind of powerful things the angels do. We'll continue to do what we can do, but we do so in obedience to God, in obedience to his commandments, and in obedience to the promptings that he gives us to direct our lives to the best of our ability. That's what he expects from us. Now, uh, will that happen for everyone? I don't know. Uh, you know, at this point, each one of us has to ask ourselves, will I do everything I can to obey God, to obey his commandments and to follow his promptings to do his will? And that, that's as much as I can do. And to do what I can among the people with whom I live, to encourage them to do the same. That much I can do, but, you know, I don't know about everybody doing it. I'll just do the part that I can and not make it so large and so global that then I become overwhelmed and don't do anything. I say, oh, that's, that's too big, I can't do it, and, and we get frozen. Nope, I'll do what I can and keep moving to obeying God as best I can in every part of life, okay? All right, we have another question from our studio audience. Sir, where are you from? Uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I love Baton Rouge. You have a great radio affiliate down there too. Thank you. So what, 
uh, what, what's your question today or comment? Okay, my question it kind of alludes to the question you just asked about God's mm -hmm. will being done, mm -hmm. and it's around agency. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned earlier about when Peter, James, and John were fishing, and then they chose to follow Christ mm -hmm. when he asked them to follow them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So did they choose? Did they have an option? And if I expound on that, if I look mm -hmm. at Judas, mm -hmm. Judas betrayed Christ. Mm -hmm. Did he have an option? If he had not betrayed Christ, what would have happened? Yeah. Well, here's, here's the question, um, you know, that you have to ask. Um, you see that the apostles uh, did have choices. And some of them said, we'll follow you. Judas lied to Christ's face, did he not? And it's important, especially with Judas. Our Lord said, the one who betrays me is the one who dips bread in the dish with me, correct? Right. Dipping bread into a dish. Now, that, this is still done in the Middle East. Uh, yeah, have some great Lebanese restaurants over in Baton Rouge. A lot of a lot of Lebanese live there, and when you go to some of those restaurants, they'll serve you a salad, you know, like hummus or baba ganoush, and you dip your bread into it. You don't in the Middle East. You don't put it on your own plate. You know, you don't put it on your own plate. You dip into the common dish with with everybody else. That's a sign of friendship and trust that one person is not going to eat all the food. <laughs> That's part of it. And so uh, our Lord is making that last effort at friendship and he rejects it. And he even warns him, it would be better that you weren't born than betray me. But he does it anyway. If he didn't betray him, our Lord would have worked out the salvation of the world in another way. He didn't have to do that, and our Lord told him not to, but he did anyway. And so our Lord would have, our Lord would have been uh, able to redeem the world some other way. But Judas, uh, and, and that's why our Lord says, it'd be better for that man if he were never born. So he's pretty serious about that. So we have agency because God, you know, despite God giving us the grace, it's you're married to the lovely young lady next to you. And, you know, dating her was probably something of a similar mystery of you pursuing her. And or as one of the girls I grew up with said, we girls run away from you boys until we catch you. That there's, <laughs> there's a mystery there of, you know, pursuing, but also the response. And it's back and forth. Same with our Lord. It's a relationship. You go back and forth uh, in that relationship. And that's a very important element as well. So we're, we have we respond to God's initiative, but we have to respond. But he gives it before we can respond. So it's, we have free will, but, you know, he, his grace also is present for us to say yes or no. We have another question from our studio. Sir, where are you from? Uh, Duluth, Georgia, Father. Okay, good. Good to have you here. And what is your question. Uh, I've just often wondered, uh, I know uh, that our blessed Lord gave us a church uh, and not a Bible before he ascended into heaven. Right. And I also know that uh, the scripture does say, I believe once that he uh, wrote something on the ground mm -hmm. at the uh, In John the chapter eight. Womb. Right. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that we know at all about what our Lord might have wrote? Nope. Nope. The, the only thing that we have any evidence of was our Lord writing in the sand. Not very permanent medium. Paper and pencil is more uh, permanent, permanent than that. So no, he didn't, he didn't write anything. Um, the disciples did the writing. He could read and write, 
We see, for instance, in Luke chapter 4, he is reading from the scroll in the synagogue. But he didn't leave any writing of any kind at all. And as you mentioned, he left the church. Uh, that's why later on, uh, when Saint, in the early 60s, when St. Paul wrote to St. Timothy in his first epistle, he said that the church is the pillar and the bulwark of truth. One of the reasons is Scripture wasn't written yet, even in 63. Proof of that is he hadn't finished writing the rest of that first epistle to Timothy. That was still unwritten. And 2 Timothy wasn't even started, and probably not Titus yet, nor the book of Revelation, and a number of, and probably not St. Peter's epistles, certainly not St. John's epistles. You know, it took a while before the scriptures were written, but the church preexisted. The first book of the New Testament ever written down was 1 Thessalonians, written in 51 A.D. by St. Paul. So for 20-some years, there was nothing written, and that eventually got written down. Um, now, that doesn't mean that we disregard sacred Scripture. Just because the church is first, and it's the church that our Lord used to write the Scripture, not as one individual, but with many. We take it as the Word of God, and it has absolute authority. But in the context of sacred tradition and the church. Now, something also has authority is that we've run out of time. So may the Lord bless you all and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we can bring you this show and all our other programs only because this network is brought to you by you, keeping us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, making it possible to us to pay our bills too. Thank you and God bless.